LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. The bride of Christ is beautiful, no matter what size. And sometimes there's large, large churches because they're faithful to the gospel. And then there's some churches that are normative or what others may consider smaller and they're faithful to the gospel. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Dan Eiten. Hey, what's up, Chandler? I'm excited today that we've got with us uh, Shane Pruitt. Uh, Shane is the National Next Gen Director for the North American Mission Board, or NAM. Um, he's also an author of a couple books. One is Nine Common Lies Christians Believe, and the other is a newer book uh, called Calling Out the Called, Discipling Those Called to Ministry Leadership. Shane, so excited to have you on the podcast today. Tell us a little bit about what you do at NAM and about your new book. Yeah, awesome. Hey, thanks, Dan Chandler. Thanks for having me on. Really excited about that. Yeah, so at NAM, National Next Gen Director, what does that mean? It means I help. I get to help lead our ministries at the North American Mission Board uh, for all the next gen space. So that's for that for us. That means young adults, college, uh, and students. And we love students, but really our target group in that is to really help, you know, uh, resource, network, coach, next-gen leaders that we say are on the front lines of influencing the next generation with the gospel and mobilizing the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I get to lead that team and work with, you know, our 47,000 churches within our network. So love doing that. Love our partners at Lifeway and then even specifically our friends at Lifeway Students. We get to partner with them a lot as well as other great uh, ministries. So uh, I, I feel like I have the best job in the world. I love it. I was telling somebody <laughs> yesterday, I don't know if you're supposed to have this much fun in ministry, but I'm having an absolute blast. And then, yeah, our newest book that we partnered with B&H on um, called uh, Calling Out the Call, Discipling Those Called to Ministry Leadership. Wrote that with a good friend of mine by the name of Scott Pace, who is uh, the provost at Southeastern Seminary. And really what that is, is it's a book really um, engaging leaders to get back to calling out the called of the next generation of ministry leaders. We know there's a void in ministry leadership. It seems you know, as though more people are leaving ministry than entering ministry, but we believe God hasn't stopped calling people to ministry. I think we as current leaders have stopped on a large scale of asking a whole generation to consider if God's calling them to ministry leadership. Hmm. And it's also a great book for those that go, hey, I feel called to ministry. What does that mean or what are those next steps? So we've been blown away by the response to it. We knew we were stepping into a void writing um, on that space, but we didn't realize how big that void was. So we've been blown away by the response to it. So that's been fun to watch as well. Even as you're talking about that, Shane, I'm thinking, I, I don't know the stat off the top of my head and you may know it or we can just talk around it. But the average age of a pastor nowadays is exceedingly climbing. So there is, as you're talking about, there is a much need to call those who are called, call that out of them into ministry. So a huge need. You guys are stepping into that void, like you said. Anything you want to say to that? Like as you were writing the book, you kind of saw that. Yeah, spot on, man. Uh, What you said is spot on. Uh, In fact, one of the big, you know, stats that we do quote in the book actually comes from Barna, but it's dated. Mm. It's from 2017, which I would submit Mm. is those stats would be probably way worse worse today. But even in 2017, there was more Protestant ministry leaders over the age of 65 than under the age of 40. In fact, according to Barna, um, of 
all Protestant ministry leaders, less than 15% were under the age of 40. So I say it like this, if we were a baseball team, it was like, it's almost like we don't have a farm system coming up. And so we got to start focusing on our next generation of ministry leaders. Well, we're going to come back to that because I think there's a lot to talk around about calling how to call out the call. So we'll come back to that in just a moment, but just to start out so we can get to know you, those listening can get to know you. You just said, hey man, I'm having a blast. I love what I get to do. And somebody's looking at Shane going, man, I wanna be there. I wanna be able to where I just love what I do, uh, but I don't feel that way. So man, just walk us through the different leadership roles you've been over the years to, to lead you to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, early on, really, I didn't grow up in church, which uh, I grew up in Texas, been in Texas my whole life, but I didn't grow up in church. If you had asked me as a teenager, if I was a Christian, I would have probably said yes, because I live in Texas. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, My parents became believers when I was 16. But in high school and college, my trinity was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity were sports. I was an athlete partying and chasing girls. Um, but God got a hold of my heart at 21, radically shifted my entire life. Um, in fact, at 21, whenever I was lost, I wasn't just lost spiritually. I was lost in life as well. I was bouncing from job to job, relationship to relationship. I was failing out of junior college. It's almost impossible, but I was doing it. You know what I mean? So when God got a hold of my heart, he literally got a hold of my entire heart. And so uh, grew up outside of Waco uh, at the advice of my pastor. The next semester, I enrolled in Bible college in Dallas. I didn't even know there was such a thing as Bible college. But I remember when I looked at the degree program, I didn't see any math classes. So I was like, the Lord has spoken. <laughs> so that's how I ended up that's in amazing. Bible college. Uh, like not necessarily because I felt called to ministry at that time, but just because my pastor told me to do it. And I said, okay, you know, and so I remember going to Bible college and here's all these Bible college students doing what Bible college students do, right? They're debating Calvinism and Arminianism. I had no clue what they were talking about. <laughs> You're like Googling what both those are. Yeah, yeah. I was still calling Psalms poems. You know what I mean? And so, like, so I had some Bible college professors start discipling me. So in Bible college, yeah, I got a great degree, learned a lot, but really that's where I was discipling. Probably two years in, I really felt God calling me to ministry leadership, put my yes on the table. It was probably another year to 18 months after that. I got asked by a church to start teaching Sunday school uh, for a bunch of junior high boys. And at that time, I didn't know um, what curriculum was. I didn't know really about Lifeway or anything like that. I didn't know what curriculum was. And so whatever I learned at Bible college that week is what I would teach these seventh grade boys, you know? So I'd be like, all right, we're going to learn about the hypostatic union of Christ. And they're just like picking their nose, you know what I mean? (laughs) Because I was young and single, I put all my time into it. And that group just continued to grow. And then there was an opportunity for them to hire a part-time youth pastor. And they go, hey, we want you to be our youth pastor. We'll pay you $7,000 a year. I remember that. And I was like, oh, you can get paid doing this? Wow, that's incredible. I would just say yes. I would have paid them $7,000 a year to let me do it. You know what I mean? And so God opened the door. And then I was in youth ministry probably for about eight years. Um, And then God transitioned me into a teaching pastor role. 
And then from that, our church, our church intentionally sent us out, uh, my wife and I, with 30 adults to plant a church in a neighboring town. And that church really took off. Most people call it C3 now. And I was their lead pastor for six years. And then God just really started opening the door uh, to do things uh, with uh, a state convention on the denominational level, uh, level, a lot of itinerant ministry of camps and conferences and those things. And so then I started serving with our state convention in Texas for five years helping coach church planters and overseeing next gen and evangelism. And then I've been with the North American Mission Board a little over the last three and a half years in this role. So that's been my journey. So a lot of really, guys, I feel like I'm an evangelist at heart. So hmm. even whenever I was a youth pastor, I was like, I was an evangelist who was a youth pastor. I was a, an evangelist hmm. who was a church pastor. I was an evangelist now serving in these, you know, denominational roles for lack of a better term. And so uh, I just believe God saved me out of a lot. So I believe if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. And that's what, hmm. that's really my heart. It's just to see people come to know Jesus. That's awesome. Just curious, you know, you, you talked about that pastor that encouraged you towards Bible college. Did he see in you that calling, um, you know, you know, your book calling out the call, did he see that or was that just more of a like, Hey, go and go and do that. Yeah. Like that was probably one of the biggest trajectory changes of my life, you know, besides salvation is one day we were in a strike and I was hanging out with him a lot because all of my friends we're all partiers. And so, you know, I started like, I called it ignorance on fire. Like I had this fire for them to know Jesus, but with ignorance, I did it in a very aggressive way. So I was telling them every day they were going to hell, you know what I mean? And they thought I joined a cult uh, because cult we lived in Waco and we kind of have that in our history. You know? Oh man. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But I knew I couldn't hang out with them all the time at like the same club, you know, the clubs and the party. So I started hanging out with the pastor of the church not necessarily at that time because I felt called to ministry, but I just, he was discipling me. I want to spend a lot of time with him. And so I would make hospital visits with him. I'd go witnessing with him, serve around the church, mainly because I wanted to spend time with him and around the church. And, and one day he goes, hey, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, why don't you go to Bible college and learn the Bible until God shows you what you're supposed to do? And I was like, okay. You know, and so like I said, two years in, I really felt God called me to ministry leadership. What was ironic is one week in, I went back and I go, pastor, I think God's called me to ministry. And I've said yes to that. I want to surrender that call my life. And this is what he said. He goes, Hey, I've known that. Um, I've just been waiting for God to reveal it to you and you to put wow. your yes on the table. And then guys, the next thing he said scared me to death. Uh, he said, Hey, you feel called to preach Well, you're up in six weeks <laughs> because like, oh, wow. this small, this small country rural church, you know, where it was still like Sunday morning, Sunday night services, Wednesday mm -hmm. night prayer meeting. So it was a Sunday night. It was like 30 people. I think 27 of them were my friends and family. I stumbled through <laughs> Psalm 23. It took me like 14 minutes. I think I said amen 82 times. Not even with like an exclamation point or like a question mark looking for application. Was like, amen? Amen? Amen. Like it was terrible, guys. It was terrible. But I had a pastor who saw a calling of God in my life and he taught me how to walk with Jesus and he gave me opportunities, even though I wasn't polished. In fact, not only was I not polished, I was terrible, but he still gave me opportunities and let me learn through that. And so, man, that was, it was a life changer for sure. And sent me down a trajectory that I believe that's what started the trajectory that I'm on now for sure. You know, Shane, I feel like so many times, you know, we're talking to young leaders on this podcast and calling is such a massive conversation. What do I want to do with my life? And you wrote a whole book on it, specifically about calling out those into ministry leadership. 
really just want to ask, and you may, you kind of already touched on this, but maybe even more specific on the second piece, but kind of two parts for those young leaders trying to discern that call on their life. Yeah. What advice would you give? Then the two part is that older leader in your life, maybe somebody's listening to this older leader going, man, I see it in somebody. I see that Shane in my life who he doesn't see it yet, but I see God's, God's hand on that calling. So for the younger person and the older person, what advice would you give there? Yeah, I love that, Chandler. Yeah, in the book, we write a whole chapter on wrestling with the call. That's what we called it, wrestling with the call. And in there, we talked about really when it comes to the calling of ministry leadership, that there needs to be like three affirmations, uh, not one of three, not two of three, but all three. Now, they may not happen all at once. It may happen over time, but I think eventually you'll see all three affirmations in your life. Uh, number one, we call it uh, inside affirmation. That comes from the Lord himself. Like the Holy Spirit calls people to ministry leadership. That's mm-hmm. what he said. We want God called leaders, not grandma called leaders. Meaning like you don't want to go into ministry because <laughs> your grandma said you'd be the next best. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. If that's your main motivation, right? So inside affirmation that comes from the Holy Spirit himself. Um, the second one would be outside affirmation. And that's where the roles of leaders can be very instrumental of like really it's men and women in your life that are speaking into your life. Like God is speaking through them to you. And so a lot of times God will uh, affirm that inside affirmation from outside affirmation from others. And that's where you go, hey, I see this in you. Do you see it in yourself? Or, hey, I see this love, this passion for the church, for the word, making disciples. Maybe God's calling you to do that for the rest of your life. And that's where outside affirmation comes from other trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the third one would be opportunity affirmation. Meaning this, I really believe like ministry calling is not something you have to chase. In a sense, it will chase you down. Like if God's Mm -hmm. calling you. He will give you opportunities to exercise that and whatever that is. And now, listen, that may come over time. Maybe you go, hey, I feel called to preach. I don't have those opportunities. Well, just be faithful to what God's giving you. And then if God's called you to that, he will open those doors. So I'd say inside affirmation, outside affirmation, opportunity affirmation. What does that mean for us as leaders when we see people maybe in our ministry context that we go, man, I really believe that God's calling on the ministry leadership. I would say just speak up, speak into their life. Um, One thing I want to encourage leaders with, though, is like ask questions, because I think sometimes questions are more strategic than declaring statements. Here's what I mean by that. Like if you see this in somebody, then go, hey, I see this in you. Do you see it in yourself? Or, hey, you have this love for the church. Do you believe God may be calling you to ministry? And I think asking good questions like that is helpful. I think sometimes if we declare statements, it can cause confusion. Meaning if you go up to somebody and go, hey, I know God's calling you to ministry. You need to quit quit running from that. That may cause confusion because they may not feel that inside affirmation from the Holy Spirit, but because they love you or respect you or see you as an authority figure in their life, you could cause some confusion because they may be trying to please you instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. So I would say if you see it in somebody, then have those one-on-one conversations, but do it by asking good leading questions. Yeah. 
And that's, that's so critical. I feel like in my own life, I've, I've had those outside people come to me and say, Hey, you know, I see these giftings in you, but like, you know, where do you see God leading you with those yeah. and stuff? I feel like those conversations have been super helpful pointing me to, you know, different jobs that I've had. So I can see how that's really helpful. Sheena, I also wanted to ask you, just kind of tell us, uh, you might've already shared this with, with your pastor pointing you to Bible college and encouraging you, but is there another kind of moment in your life that was sort of pivotal that changed, you know, the way that you looked at leadership or changed your, your life? Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell people there's been like three major shifts in my life besides salvation itself and a calling to ministry that have been super instrumental in my life. And, and in a sense have shown me kind of a whole new, you know, like element of the gospel, I guess, and for lack of a better term. Um, that's getting married uh, when you become a husband or a spouse like that'll show you a whole new realm of the gospel like you know what I mean like I always felt like I had, these, I had all these sermons on marriage until I got married you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah, and so, like married uh, becoming a father I mean mm. when you start having you know kids of your own and it shows you the depth of a heavenly father's love for you through like the you're like the love you have for your kids as as self-sacrificial as that is and unconditional as it is doesn't even scratch the surface of the heavenly father's love for you so that's taught me a lot and then becoming an adoptive father so we have six kids our two oldest are biological daughters our four youngest are adopted so standing in front of a judge in a courtroom setting and going hey by my expert opinion this child like and you your family is a, a great fit and then you hear the judge declare their new last name legally you know mm -hmm. and now they're carrying your last name and they went from an orphan to a child that has all the same benefits as your biological children the the beauty of the gospel on that is, is shaking mm -hmm. a lot so i'd say those are the three major elements besides salvation itself and then what the lord has really taught us through our son titus uh, we have a uh, one of our sons is adopted from Uganda, and he has a lot of unique needs. Uh, meaning, he's had twenty surgeries uh, in the mm. ten years that he's been with us, and so just the daily journeying with him, you know, there's no kind of suffering like watching your child suffer. So the constant just suffering he goes through on a daily basis, in and out of the hospital, constant surgeries. The Lord has taught us so much through him and my wife said it like this probably five years ago and i'm like it's so true he's you know like we always are praying for god to physically heal our son but the great irony in it all is as we're praying for god to heal our son god has actually used our son to heal us um mm -hmm. because besides wow. the holy spirit himself titus is the greatest teacher in our life um, and titus has helped me become a better follower of jesus a better husband a better father a better leader a better follower, a better servant. And so I would say like um, our, our son Titus um, and his daily suffering, the Lord has taught me so much. And I feel through that it's taught me that it's okay to be vulnerable and transparent and authentic in my own struggles and my own fears and my own failures. And because of that, I think it, it gives permission to the people you're ministering to, to be the same way. So I think the Lord has taught us that through our son. Yeah. And what a testimony. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Well, moving back to younger Shane, maybe when you were first getting started, what was your biggest mistake when you were stepping into leadership when you look back? Mm, yeah. Okay. So biggest mistake in, in leading, um, and, you know, being a youth pastor, 
um, but also being married was not communicating well to my wife <laughs> because I would commit to things or like do things all the time and then inform her later. Um, and I heard this whole story a lot, but let me, sh- let me show you the biggest failure is I remember, I mean, I was like, I think 25 or 26 at the time. And, uh, I was a youth pastor in a, in a small church was looking for a pastor and they asked me to come preach for them some on Sundays. And, and so my pastor was letting me do that to help that church out. And God started moving that church, like over the several weekends that I was preaching, that church just continued to grow in size every week. And we were seeing people get saved. And here I am at like 25, 26, getting to see adults getting saved. And, and man, that church probably got a little overzealous. I probably was way overzealous and they extended the call to me to be their pastor one Sunday, like on the spot, the search team did. And I said, wow. yes, and went home. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Uh-oh. And she's like, we're not doing that. And I'm like, but babe, you know, and, and when we slowed down and prayed together and fasted together, we realized that wasn't what God was calling, you know, calling me to do specifically. Mm-hmm. So, but, and I had to go, you talk about, uh, oh, I was thinking uh, how that conversation had to go. <laughs> yeah. Going back, and this is mainly an older church. I'm 25 and I'm going to meet with this search team <laughs> of mainly people in their sixties and seventies. Yeah. And here I am going, uh, I got way ahead of myself, you know, and I was just mm-hmm. honest with them. Like, listen, I got excited. I said, yes, went home and informed my wife later. That wasn't wise, you know? And so they were very gracious and very understanding, but yeah, man, that was a teachable moment. Right? So <laughs> communicate with your spouse and leadership. Yeah. yeah. And then the they, they added to procedure talking. to talk to the wife as well. Hey, our next step, when we have a candidate, let's include the, the wife. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and then um, the other one was, uh, I think just, and I think we can all fall to this, especially as young leaders, but also older leaders is trying to do everything myself. You know what I mean? For lack of a better term, just being a one man operation. And mm-hmm. I think even early on, I would just get exhausted, burn myself out. And and I look back and go, gosh, there, those early years of ministry were some of the sweetest times of ministry. But I don't think I really stopped to enjoy it because I was mm-hmm. doing everything myself instead of mm-hmm. giving leadership away or multiplying myself or raising up other yeah. leaders around me. So I think I didn't really get to enjoy it as much as I should have because I was trying to do everything myself. Mm, that is that is such a common trap to fall into, especially when you're young to try and do everything. Yeah, um, we love books. Uh, we love hearing uh, from different people books that you know. When you look back at you know your, your younger self, is there a book that you have read now? Maybe it wasn't released back when you were younger, but is there a book that you wish you had when you started to lead? Other oh, than man. calling out the cold, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you wish you had that. <laughs> yeah, there was this one book. Yeah. Uh, Scott Pace is a great author. The other guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, there's so many great ones, but the one that I still return to over and over and it's fallen apart. It's highlighted up notes written into it. It's still got to be spiritual leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. And I think, gosh, like, and I remember reading it when I was young, but I don't think I really let it set in. And the older I've gotten and more I realize that ministry is more of a marathon than a sprint. I was like, gosh, I wish I would have operated in these principles a lot sooner of just like really, which I love spiritual leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, where the big idea is just lead from the overflow 
of your own worship of King Jesus and lead from the overflow of your own proximity with the Holy Spirit. And I, I wish I would, uh, once again, I think that goes back to trying to do everything yourself. And let's be honest, by when we're doing that, we're trying to do it by our own power and not the power of the Holy Spirit. So spiritual leadership by J. Oswald Sanders is still my one of my favorites for sure. Classic for sure. What was one of your biggest misconceptions when you were getting started as a leader? Yeah, I think early on, my biggest misconception was that the size of the ministry or the size of the church dictated God's blessing or was evidence of God's blessing. And, and here's kind of the pendulum I went on. I think whenever I was young and ignorant, meaning just a lack of knowledge, is that I think at the beginning, I thought if it's a massive church, then that means God's blessing and they're being serious about the gospel. And then sadly, I think the longer I went to Bible college and then started getting into like graduate studies, it's almost like the pendulum shifted all the way over to the other side of going, oh, smaller churches. That's because they're being serious about the gospel and that God's blessing. You know what I mean? And then I think just coming out the other side and go, hey, uh, the bride of Christ is beautiful no matter what size. And sometimes there's large, large churches because they're faithful to the gospel. And then there's some churches that are normative or what others may consider smaller and they're faithful to the gospel and they're being salt light in their community and they're loving their community. And so I think that's something that the, I, the pendulum kept shifting back and forth with me when I was young is that size and numbers dictated faithfulness um, or was an evidence of faithfulness where I realize now it's not always that, you know, um, and it's really about like, are you being faithful? Are you being obedient? Is the power of the Holy Spirit evident? And, you know, um, I, in fact, I think it's Leonard Ravenhill that said, like, gifts and talents can build a crowd, but only the Holy Spirit can build the church. Um, and so just being spirit led, you know, and that's not always going to be evident by the size of it. Yeah. Yep. No, that's great. And, you know, again, talking about you being a younger leader, are there some qualities that you wish you had when you were a younger leader starting out? Yeah, I think I would have just... I wish I would have realized at an earlier age that a calling to ministry is not just a calling to start, but it's also a calling to run well and a calling to finish well, meaning that it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know? And so I, I wish I, I would have paced myself more, you know, uh, earlier on, you know, I've done that over the recent years is to understand that. And then I wish I would have just been more confident in the Lord and more confident in my identity in Christ. Um, and I think... Once again, I don't know that this is necessarily a, a younger leader issue because I think we can fall into that trap when we're older as well is like realizing my identity is not wrapped up in results and my identity is not wrapped up in pleasing people, but being obedient to the and being faithful to the Lord and the calling and the scriptures. And so, um, you know, I wish I would have learned earlier too of like, when is the right time and maybe only experience can show this. And so I think I understand this more when I was younger, but I wish I would have understood it more as younger is knowing when is the right time to like, when people are trying to leave, 
you know, uh, the church or trying to leave the ministry you're leading, like when's the right time to chase them down? Meaning when's there, maybe there's things that you can adjust or maybe there's things you do need to apologize of or repent of, Mm -hmm. or you can adjust. Maybe there's a misunderstanding that clear communication can fix, but also knowing when's the right time to let people walk away. Cause I felt like a lot of times I was chasing people unnecessarily and either the Lord was moving them or they were walking away because really of something on their end, not on the ministry's end. And I just felt the need to chase. And sometimes I think I would neglect those who are like faithful and in and bought in. Cause I was always trying to chase those who were walking away, you know? Yeah. It's hard not to take that personally too. When, when people, For sure. you know, absolutely. want to leave and yeah, you know, and sometimes, like you said, it, it's not, it's not you, it's the, they're going to be served by a different, different church or ministry. And you yeah, know, that's maybe where the Holy Spirit's calling them, but yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they just, let's be honest. Sometimes they're just cynical people or critical people. Even if I can appease them for this five minutes, cause I chase yeah. them hard. Uh, it's only a matter of time before it's something else. You know what I mean? And so yeah, I'm just, yeah, so true. And, and, and I think it goes back to what you said is just probably goes back to truly having your confidence in the Lord and your identity in Christ mm-hmm. and not trying to win people's approval. You know? Yeah. Well, Shane, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. These are going to be short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff. Yeah. In the mornings, I love just a morning to obviously get started. Usually I get started with prayer in the morning and I dive into scriptures in the evening. So morning is, is prayer. And then it really depends on, you know, what, what the day is. So uh, I live in Texas. Our offices are in Georgia. And so I do have an office there and, you know, and I'm there, you know, some throughout the year, mainly to host leaders or do stuff with our video team or content team. But, uh, you know, our team is spread out that I'm leading. And then a lot of my role is the traveling, the speaking, the coaching network and all that. So I can live anywhere close to an airport and has internet. So sometimes <laughs> I'm often seen out of home if I'm not in an airport, right? And so usually it's like, uh, like prayer um, and then diving into the day, whether it's webinars, meetings, uh, writing resources. Um, and then I love when I'm in town, if I can at all possible, I love to pick the kids up from school. I like being the one doing that because my wife has to carry that load when I'm out of town. And then our, all of our kids are in the music and sports. So I love going to their practices. Gosh, that's like life giving to me. Um, and then typically in the evenings when our little ones lay down, um, that's when I, we love to exercise. My wife and I spend time together. Exercise is very important to us. And then that's usually when I dive into the scriptures. And I usually love to read a, a chapter of the Bible every day and a chapter of a book that I'm reading every day. That's great. Um, what's what's your favorite personality test if you have one? And if so, what are kind of your results from that test? Oh, man, I don't. Yeah, I always like joke. I always have to look because like life is the greatest personality test. You know? <laughs> but I, I mean, like I'll dive into some of like people ask me like, hey, what's your what are you on the disc or, you know, what's your Enneagram? And I never know. People will tell me like, Oh, you're without a seven. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, so I, I mean, I probably should care more about that, but I don't like, I, I don't know. It's all good, man. Yeah. No, no judgment, you know, no judgment. <laughs> Except for when people try to use those as excuses. That's when I, oh, I for I'll sure. 
for that. When people are like, well, I'm just, I'm a three, so I run late. And I'm like, no, you're irresponsible. You know what I mean? 100%. I agree with you on that. That's the only time I judge. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Oh gosh. Great. Oh man. All right. This is going to be weird. All right. But this is what it is (laughs) for me. I love to like mow the yard or do like Mm. task around the house because I feel like there's so much in leadership, especially in Christian leadership, where it's just where you feel like sometimes you're just trying to move the ball down the field. You know what I mean? Or it's a journey that really doesn't come to completion until you stand before Jesus or he comes back. So I like to do things where I can start and finish them all in one like moment. So for me, like I love to mow the yard because it's a task that I complete in that time, you know, because so much of what we do in ministry, you're not really completing a task per se. So I love anything where I can complete the task because it feels like you're getting something done in that moment, you know? Yeah. I I was just having that conversation with somebody the other day and just leaving Lifeway, going back into the local church. So I was like, how's it going, man? I was like, I don't know if I'm winning. You know, I I leave the day and I'm just wondering, man, how'd I do? Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's such a real thing. And we were having that conversation of, he brought up mowing as well. So it truly is. You you can see the line that you're making. You know the difference that you're making in that moment. So I very much agree with you on that, Shane. Yeah, like it's so random. My wife was making so much fun of me. It's like last week um, I rented a storage unit to like clean out our garage and, and some of our stuff. And she was like, you you look like a little kid on Christmas morning. Like I was so excited <laughs> because it's like, everything's love storage. <laughs> and we actually have a garage that's usable because we were able to put like our Christmas stuff in the storage unit and all that stuff. Mm. And so, yeah, just completed task sometimes is so life giving to me. Yeah. Mm. Shane, if you whipped out your phone, what's your favorite app or most used app? Oh yeah, man. Uh, it's gotta be Spotify. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm. I know that doesn't sound super spiritual, but it's got, that's where I listen <laughs> no. to all my podcasts, like my playlist, um, you know, and just, you know, traveling, whether it's in the truck or on the plane, constantly got something going on Spotify. Um, so that one, and then, yeah. And then I don't want a Jesus juke, if it's true. Uh, version. I'm a fan <laughs> of you. There's just so much there to utilize, you know? And so I even yep. use you version with the kids, you know, is what we're working mm-hmm. through with different devos and stuff on there. So yeah, Spotify and you version gotta be. You're like, Spotify is not spiritual. I got to throw in the Bible app just to get it. <laughs> 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 yes, but yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. that's great. Hey, what's, what's been the best book you've read in the past six months? Oh man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I know it's cliche, but I was like, my favorite book is the last one I've read usually, you know? And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, so I'm almost done with it. I'm not done with it, but um, I'm really enjoying right now. I'm reading Billy Graham's biography that mm. Greg Laurie did, um, which oh, is wow. the man I knew because it's such a behind the scenes, you know, of like Greg Laurie's, um, you know, interaction with Billy Graham and so many kind of cool mm-hmm. stories that you don't really get to see in other biographies because of so much behind the scenes that, that Greg Laurie had with him. And so, man, I've loved, loved reading that book and I'm almost done with it. So yeah, that's, that's gotta be the current one. The, the Greg Laurie book on, uh, the biography of Billy Graham by Greg Laurie right now. Yeah. Last quick hitter question. What is one sentence of advice that you would give somebody going into a leadership position for the first time? 
I love this question. Yeah, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is just regurgitate the advice that someone gave me early in ministry and I've never forgot it. Um, you know, I was, my wife and I, we were newly married and gifted a trip to Israel. And um, especially when I was younger, preachers for me were like athletes, you know, so one walked in that if I said his name, you'd recognize his name. And I was like, Hey, there's so and so, and she's like, "Hey, he's just a guy." And I was like, "Girl, you don't get it, you know." And so he got in the elevator. And the doors were closing. I like shoved my arm in. So I could get in. I said, "Doctor so and so," I'm not going to say his name, but I was like, "Doctor so and so, what advice would you give me as a young person in ministry?" And this is what he said. I never forgot. He said, "You focus on the depth of your ministry." and let the Lord take care of the width and platform of it. And I thought that was so helpful. And what he was saying is you focus on walking deeply with Jesus, intimacy with Christ, character integrity. You focus on your proximity with the Lord through spiritual disciplines and let the Lord take care of the width and platform of it, which I think is such a good word because I think if we're not careful, so often we're thinking of the platform and the width of ministry and not the depth of ministry. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just a good reminder before the Lord ever called us, you know, uh, to any kind of title or position or put our names on business cards or websites or church signs or office doors. He just called us to follow Jesus. So I think we'll be at our best when we lead, serve, preach, teach, disciple out of the overflow of our own worship of Jesus. So that's it. Focus on the depth of your ministry. Let the Lord worry about the width and platform of it. Well, Shane, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to wherever you're listening, leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time.